Thanks for joining us and have a Merry Christmas. Good morning. Thank you for being with us this morning. My name is Chris, one of the pastors here, and thank you for planning to be with us. I know that this weekend begins for many families uh, a busy season of celebrating together. I know that there are multiple families that today is maybe their family day before travel starts this week or, or different things like that. But thank you for taking this time to set aside and be gathered together as a church. Perhaps You've already experienced this or you've witnessed it as we were going through worship together, but this is not just a live event that you go and sit down at and then leave, but this is something that we participate in together as the body of Christ. That's who's gathered here today, those that he came and rescued and ransomed for himself. And so thank you for taking this time. Uh, if you're a guest here that's uh, with family, thank you for being with us. My wife Stephanie and I look forward to meeting you after the service. Uh, but would you please welcome this morning to read God's word in John chapter 1. If you want to go ahead and open your app or open your Bible, uh, you can join us in John chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5 together this morning. And Miss Julia Needham is going to read God's word for us today. was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, this morning I think it's appropriate as we are reflecting on Jesus Christ coming to earth that we get to actually celebrate with the Slack family and Needham family as Julia has become an auntie yet again. And so can I introduce to you this morning, Miss Olivia Ann Slack. She was born December the 8th at 2.56 a.m. And I was given that very specific time. Why is it always three o'clock in the morning? Eight pounds, eight ounces, 20 inches long. Mom and the family are doing well. We rejoice with them this morning. You know, I mentioned live events just a moment ago, and this seems to be a season filled with live events, doesn't it? Uh, I was here in this auditorium on Friday as a school came in, and, and the, the seats were just filled with parents who were here with that eager anticipation, will my child be the one that finds their voice on the microphone? And you know what? A few of them showed up that day. Uh, I stepped out of my office as, as their, their Christmas pageant started at 11, and it was just so wonderful to see parents beaming with pride and I got to participate uh, by going and witnessing two that my wife led this year and she was recounting a story that she heard this year that there was a, a young lady who at the beginning of one of the shows was very nervous and, and a teacher's aide pulled the, the young lady aside. She had begun to cry as the, as the pageant was starting and, and the teacher's aide said, what, what is it that's happening? And, and uh, we'll just call her little Susie. And so Susie says back to her, well, everybody else's parents are recording them, but my parents aren't recording me. And so the teacher's aide just kind of quickly turned around like, mom or dad, please put your phone up so that Susie can sing for us this morning. And I'm not sure how I feel about that story, right? Where it's like, is she already thinking she's an influencer? I don't know. Um, but like, you know, there's these moments where it's like, 
good on the parents for being in the moment, right? Or, you know, but like maybe they're not live streaming, you know, Abuela across town or whatever it is that's going on. But this is a season where we are involved in live events. And my family was at one yesterday for my son's graduation. And yes, that's a shameless way for me to say attaboy Caleb for graduating college. But this school so rudely only gave us five tickets, as if that covers our family. And so we had to send out the link to a live stream. And it's praise God that we have that kind of technology that that you can have a live stream. But, you know, I begin to wonder, we live stream here at the church, and it's not something that we talk about often. We, our primary focus is on this gathering that happens here, and our live stream is, is intended to support that, not supplant that. And so what we want to do, though, is we want that to be an encounter for people, even as they're at home or in the hospital or traveling with family. And so we have to think things through. So as I'm at my son's graduation yesterday, I'm starting to think like, I wonder what the live stream ex experience is like for UCF's graduation, and what is it that uh, Mama is seeing in Kentucky, and what is it that, that Grammy and Grandpa are seeing across town in their living room, and, and any other family that's watching, you know, Aunt Becky up in Indianapolis, and, and different things like that, and, and I begin to think about how incredibly boring it would be if there were just this one static wide shot. It would be like... This is difficult to do. It's like you're watching an old college lecture, right? Where you're just like, wow, they really put nothing into this. And even this morning, right? Like we're, we're all gathered here and I'm in three dimensions that you can get a sense for how near or how far I am away. And yet if I were to stand here this morning and just be like, okay, let's go to this camera right here, that can happen. And then we'll say, okay, let's go to the camera that's in the crow's nest. Well, that can happen as well. And we can say, okay, let's go to the camera that's next to the soundboard. Well, that can happen. And you know what? That meant nothing to anybody sitting in this room. Before our live stream, all of a sudden, things felt, oh, he's talking to us. He's talking about us. And there's this engagement that can happen. And you know, throughout our series on Christmas and the Gospels, that's something like what we've been doing. We've been looking at it from the camera angle of Matthew. And we see that he, as he's writing to the Jewish people, he is telling us about this Messiah, this anointed one who is to come. And he tells us what it is that Jesus said, these, these things that Jesus articulated along the way. So that's camera one of Matthew. Then we go to camera two of Mark, and we get this snapshot of the picture to the Romans. We see Jesus as a servant, something that would have been countercultural to the Roman people, a servant. And it tells us what Jesus did for his people. Then we go to the camera of Luke, which we looked at last week. And we see detail, chronology. And then Luke is speaking to a Greek audience. And he sees Jesus as a man. Telling us how it was that he felt about different things that were going on. And, and this week, as we look at the book of John, even as Julia just read a moment ago, you may think, like, what camera angle can be added here that's going to add a rich dimension? He's already spoken to so many different audiences. Well, John shows us what it means for Jesus to be truly God and truly man. Speaks of Jesus' deity. It calls us to belief in a very specific way. And so to the whole world, John is writing, not to one specific audience or another, but John is portraying Jesus as divine. 
He wants us to understand this divinity rightly and understand how that means that Jesus is our perfect Savior. And so this Christmas time, I think it's appropriate that we introduce ourselves, or for some who are gathered here today, reintroduce ourselves to Jesus, our perfect Savior. You know, we live in an increasingly spiritual culture. And, and I mean spiritual just as vaguely as it comes across when I say it that way. People have a sense of a longing for spirituality, and yet they struggle at times to marry that with truth. God's Word shows us a rich and full experience with both. Spirituality and truth together. So some may say that Jesus was a philosopher. Other, he, he, they would say, well, he had many good things to say, so maybe he was a, a rabbi, a teacher, or maybe just another prophet who points us to who God was. But Jesus was so much more than that. One of the live events that we were at this year is one of mine and Stephanie's favorite thing to go and experience together. It was the candlelight processional out at Epcot. It's a tradition for us to get away from the children. No, I meant it that way. That was the end of the sentence. No, that's, I'm joking. <laughs> we love to go out there and to just hear that music together, to hear the choir singing and declaring truth. But you know, we've noticed over the years that the truth seems to be get, getting more and more kind of worn out of that production. And it's not the moment that less and less people know that it's proper to rise during the Hallelujah Chorus and from Handel's Messiah. It has more to do with the emphasis on love as the point of Jesus' coming and the embodiment of his message. Love was certainly a part of his message, but it was displayed in a very unique way beyond the manger. It was displayed in a way that helps us to understand why these words at the beginning of John matter so deeply for us. It was displayed in a way that seems tragic to some and gives life to others. And John wants us to understand that deeply and rightly today. That we wouldn't just seek a spiritual experience, but we would know the truth that anchors us to have that all year round. Not just in this season of warmth and merriment, hopefully laughter, sometimes at one another, others with one another. But something that we can carry with us day in and day out. You know, our words are powerful. There's life. Uh, James speaks of this. There's life and death in the tongue. We can use our words to build one another up. We can tear one another down. We can give life. We can sow seeds of death. We can clarify or we can confuse. We can direct or misguide. But while our words are powerful, they are no match to the power of the words of God. It says here, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the word. And we need to understand rightly the power of God's word. And so we see texts like Psalm 33, 6. I believe we have this on the screen for you. Where it says this, the heavens were made by the word of the Lord. And all the stars by the breadth of his mouth. Or Genesis 1, 3, then God said, 
Let there be light. And what happened? There was light. What about these words from Psalm 107, verse 20? He sent his word and healed them. He rescued them from the pit. You see, creation and salvation both come through the word of God. And the opening words of John connect us to the opening words of Scripture. If you want to look back there with me, look just behind the copyright on your Bible, which is a confusing concept to all, that there would be a copyright on the words written by the Holy Spirit, but it's true. Genesis, verse 1, it begins with these powerful words. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It's just there. It's just that plain for us to see. And then if we turn back in our word of God to John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. All of a sudden we begin to understand. I don't think John's point is talking about the expression of vowels and consonants and letters being put together and emphasized in a certain way and understood in a grammatical structure. He is talking about something far more significant than that. He is connecting Jesus Christ with creation. You know, we realize that Matthew and Luke provide some genealogies for Jesus. And perhaps John is looking at this. He's writing sometime after those, those letters were already, those gospels were already circulating around. Perhaps he's thinking, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go a little further back than that. I'm going to go back in Jesus' genealogy to a time before there was time. I'm going to connect Jesus Christ to eternity. I'm going to connect him to something before the world began. Now, Genesis 1-1, as we just looked at it, gives us no hint that God himself was created. He was. He is And he is to come. He is eternal. This is what Jesus is set apart from other so-called gods. He he, he stands the the test of time. See, gods that are made by human hands or gods that are invented by human minds pale in comparison to Jesus as God himself. Jesus has always existed. See, God had been revealed in part through nature and history... But now he's being revealed in full through his son, Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. The word was God. You know, it can be easy to see that word was and begin to let our mind think like, well, he used to be that, and now he's this. Or that was then, but what about now? And John is such a wordsmith in how he is... He's not utilizing the the language in a way to manipulate us. He's utilizing the language in a way to inform us rightly about who Jesus Christ is. You know, we'll often talk about God, the Father, as creator of heaven and earth. We'll talk about the Holy Spirit in the way that he hovered over the waters. But you know what John is telling us is that Jesus was right there as well at creation. He was the one who was creating the very tree that he would someday hang on for for you and for me. He was the one that was there shaping and molding us. It was his breath that was breathed into Adam as well. And when he says that he was with God, it's it's this using this language that helps us to understand that he was occupying the same space as God himself. 
He wasn't in the room where it happened. He was in the same place as God. Why? Because he is himself God. This is what's unique about our faith. He was not created just in that moment for Ma in Mary. He was before all of time. John, in this way, kind of wins the genealogies, doesn't he? Says, Matthew, can you only think back to the beginning of time? Luke, are you only going to capture these little moments along the way that, that kind of show us how to get to Mary? Let me show you something far more vast and amazing than that. Jesus supersedes the timelines of history. And in the midst of that, not only was he present in creation, not only was he there, he was active in it. What does John go on to say? He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. What a weird sentence. Why does John say it this way? You know, over the years I've had the opportunity to work in a variety of industries. Before I was given full time to pastoral ministry. And a couple of those involved being in and out of warehouses uh, at different times throughout the day. Different times throughout the week. And perhaps you've had that experience where you've walked into a warehouse. And, and there's one of two reasons to walk into a warehouse. To know that the warehouse is there and it exists. And that you'll never walk in there again. Or because that's where you will give yourself to the task for which you were hired. I've experienced both of those. Sometimes you just know where the warehouse is. You, you know where the warehouse is, and, and you kind of get the, the grand warehouse tour like this, and this is the warehouse. Well, John doesn't do that. John says, here's the warehouse, and here are the things that are stored within the warehouse. Look at the words again. Help us understand this. All things that were, ma were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. See, John chooses words that help us to understand that Jesus was individually part of the individual things that were created at the very beginning. He was intimately involved in those things, from the largest of whale to the smallest of the amoeba, from the sunflower seed to the redwood tree. He was a part of the beautiful sunset to the tiny lightning bugs that take up the fields and the valleys that so wonderfully frame them. He was intimately involved in your creation and in mine. How wonderful is this Jesus? He designed it. He was a part of creating it. And now he is here to redeem it for himself. You know, we can often gloss over that word redemption. I don't know why this is the illustration that came to mind. Perhaps it's because recently I read an article that the terrifying animatronics at Chuck E. Cheese are going away. But I was thinking about the ticket redemption counter at Chuck E. Cheese. You go, you give a ticket, you get a trinket, that will be lost before you get home. That will cause tears unimaginable. But you know, there's, there's some sense when you're holding that ticket, isn't there, that I earned this. I, I earned this, and now I'm redeeming for this prize. Oh, church. 
What a beautiful truth is captured in that for us. Jesus came to redeem us. What does that mean? You don't work for it. He did. He worked for our salvation. And his words say it all. And what are those words? It is finished. He redeems us. And so this morning, I want us to be clear in understanding, not only that he created us, but he is the one that comes and redeems us. And those words are powerful. Why? Because there is a day that our words will rejoice in his creation. It says in Revelation 4, 11, this, our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. He was. He is. And he is to come. There's a day when we will all join in this chorus and sing with the heavenly hosts that heralded his coming. We will sing the consummation of his plan of redemption. But why was it that Jesus came? Why is it that he's here? See, John is helping us to understand his deity. He is using in his way this connection to his deity, but he also connects us to his purpose in coming to earth. He uses these words. He says that he comes to bring life. Well, I'm already alive. How much more life do I need? How is it that I'm supposed to live when I'm already alive? How can we go through that process? Well, he comes to bring life to those who are spiritually dead. You know, it does not seem appropriate to talk about death in this season. That's not very Christmassy, is it? Oh, it's explicitly Christmassy. It's exactly the right thing to talk about in this season. I have the privilege this afternoon to go and be a part of a funeral service where we will talk about death. There are many in this season that can struggle because the loss of a loved one seems so near. My family knows that pain. The loss of a loved one can seem so near and so it seems to tarnish the light of the season. But you see, Jesus came to rescue, to ransom, to redeem those who are spiritually dead. When we rightfully talk about death in this season, we understand something, that that death means a separation from those that we love. And for many, there is a hole in your heart. There seems to be a gaping hole at the table. Or in your gatherings, in your festivities. Maybe because of the personality of the the one that you have lost that you so loved. And it's right to mourn that. Those moments are right to grieve over. Death stings in those moments, doesn't it? And yet we're told in God's word that death has lost its sting. And yet we still feel it in this world, don't we? Well, Jesus has come to bring life to those who are spiritually dead. He is saying that there comes a point where death will no longer have a sting for us in eternity. Now that doesn't mean that we rush through this life 
trying to get to that moment so that we escape the sting of death. We acknowledge those things. We work through those things in grief. But we understand how it is that God's word is using life here. It's telling us that we are not only physically separated from God himself, that we are spiritually separated from God. There is a spiritual separation that is happening as well. So if physical death is separation of the soul from the body, then spiritual death is the separation of the soul from God himself. Can I say this? The second one of those is far more frightening than the first. There's loss to be sure. Oftentimes grief is because of the immense love and relationships that are built on individuals but the relationship that we were designed for that we were created for with God himself being separated oh church that's most frightening that's most sobering to all of us in this season sin separates us from God full stop sin separates us from God a sinless God cannot welcome that into his holy presence. And you know, that separation is made permanent after physical death, isn't it? I'm grateful this afternoon that the, at our funeral that there will be a celebration of new life in Jesus Christ. And so we can celebrate as those in Scripture do that say, we grieve, but we don't grieve as those who are without hope. We don't grieve as those who are without hope. Sin's separation is made permanent after physical death. And we know that he will punish the sin of those with eternal separation from him in the horrors of hell. But Jesus came to give us life. It doesn't mean that everything about your circumstances is going to become some kind of eternal sunshine and rainbows. It's going to say that your eternity is secured not by you. Not by anything that you bring to it. Jesus came to give us life through reconciliation with God. Let me be clear about something, church. There are many wonderful gifts that will be exchanged this Christmas season. I don't know if you're one of those weird commercial families where there will be a new car with a bow in the driveway. If so, I hope that you heard Mike's comments on giving earlier. <laughs> Where are those people living? You know, the greatest gift given to you this Christmas season didn't come in a manger all those thousands of years ago. It died on a cross for you. The greatest gift of this season is reconciliation between God and man. And that happens through Jesus Christ, his son. That's the great gift. It's what we can inform ourselves with, even as we have those moments of darkness, even as we were praying and ministering through in worship this morning. When we have those moments of isolation and it seems like God is far off, we can remember this great gift of this season. And we're not worried about whether it has a shine on this season or some sort of patina to the lights. We're not worried about where the darkness seems to dim. We're not worried about any of those things anymore because the greatest gift we could be given was already given to us in Jesus Christ. 
when he took on the flesh that he created, when he lived the life of perfection that we could not live, when he died the death that we could not die, when he rose again and, and God the Father said, your sacrifice is enough. And now as he intercedes for you and me at the right hand of the throne of God, what a gift. What a gift we are given through Jesus Christ. Now, how is it that you receive this spiritual life? Well, it's very simply put this way throughout Scripture. You put your faith in receiving that gift. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. You put your faith, you stake all of your life, you stake all of your eternity on Him. Not on your ability to do anything. Not on your ability to try to be a part of your own redemption. Not to be a part of adding to your two cents worth. No, we have nothing to offer. We place our faith, we place our trust in Jesus Christ and recognize that it is he who will reconcile us with his father. We will no longer be separated. We will no longer be cut off as an enemy, but we will be welcomed in as son or daughter. Isn't that the sentiment that every commercial tries to capture this season? Isn't that the sentiment that so many of us want to walk into and have this warm embrace? And you know what? There is something that happens in the heavens through Jesus Christ that we can experience that warm embrace every day of our lives. We can understand this as a gift that continues to give to us every day. Because Jesus has taken God's judgment for our sin. And he gives us victory over death. And that can become yours even today. You know, there's a stark difference. It's not just a picture. It's not just some image or illustration. It is a spiritual reality of life with or without Christ. There is a stark difference in our future. But if you have received new life in Christ, do you realize what this means for you today? Do you understand rightly that you were dead in sin, but now you have received life? And the call for us is to live that life more abundantly. Do you realize that you were cut off from God, but now you have been reconciled? Your relationship has been mended through Jesus Christ and restored. And you get to be a minister of reconciliation with others. Do you realize that you were a spiritual corpse, but you now have the life of God flowing through you through his Holy Spirit? Oh, there's power in that church. Do you realize that you were dead to God, but now you have been made alive by him and for him, which means that you have a purpose in this life, so live like it? You know, to come back to something I said earlier, our words do have power. Not a God-level power, but they do have power. We're called to be ministers of reconciliation. We're called to be ambassadors of another kingdom. And it seems to me in this season that it would be appropriate for us to watch our words carefully. Especially as we're with those that we're not necessarily around. It means that we watch the comments that we make to one another. It, it, we watch the ways that we either build up or put down through the way that we phrase something. It means that we watch the whispers in the room or walking behind somebody as we're even gathering together as, as a church. Our words are powerful, but they are informed by the word 
Christ Jesus himself. He came to call people from death to life. A living, vibrant relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And he gathers us together in a living community that I hope that you have encountered today and that we're going to demonstrate and declare his life. We're going to do this in just a moment through communion. We're going to also celebrate as a church in baptism. And in that moment, what we see is death to life as they are submerged into the water and then brought up as a celebration and a declaration of the new life that they have in Jesus Christ. It's right that we celebrate that as a church community. It's a part of the vibrancy of life that streams through us because of Jesus Christ. So life is a part of why it is that Jesus has come. What else? He brings light to those who were spiritually darkened. Different metaphor, same truth. We have a great need that we cannot meet. What is our great need? We are dead and we are in darkness. Perhaps those that may have grown up around the church or you've been a part of Christmas gatherings before, you've heard the familiar reading from Isaiah chapter 6 where those who wandered in darkness have seen a great light. That's a prophetic word about Jesus Christ. And what does he say here? That light shines in the darkness. John tells us the prophesied light has come in Jesus Christ. And it's a light that is for all who walk in darkness. I'm sorry, that references from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. Let's read it together. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. And when Jesus came, he said this in John chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We receive life from him and we reflect light from him what a wonderful purpose we have in this life the good news that we no longer have to wander about in darkness and despair in our sin but we can enjoy the light of righteousness through jesus christ john's not suggesting that we need more religion he's not saying we need more rules to follow more ways to try to earn our own redemption he's saying we need a right relationship with god our father that has been broken because of our sin and jesus christ and the gift of his coming to earth taking on the very creation he himself was a part of creating brings that life and that light to us you know, throughout John's gospel, if you take the time to read through it, and I highly recommend that, if you take the time to read through it, you're going to see this ongoing struggle between light and life. He weaves this theme throughout his gospel. But Jesus is the light of the world, and he is opposed and being opposed by those who are in darkness. You know, near the end of John's gospel, in chapter 19, we discover how Jesus was betrayed by one of his own friends. This is not just some account that's added for tension. This is not just a part of this narrative story arc. This is a real thing that happened where he would be betrayed by one of his friends, arrested by Roman soldiers and brought to trial. He would receive cruel beatings because of this betrayal. His back would be whipped so many times that 
the blood that is represented in the cup that we'll receive in just a few moments and communion flowed freely from it. Mocking would follow. A mocking that would go beyond name-calling. It would go to being dressed in a purple robe and a crown of thorns smashed into a scalp. A cross put on his back and he would have to carry it to the place where he would be hung upon it. A hill called Golgotha where he would hang in the midst of common criminals. He would have his hands and his feet nailed to the cross and it would be lifted up into the place and dropped into the place where he would die for you and for me. If you were to stop reading there, if John would have stopped writing there, we could say, John, you're wrong. Jesus was not God. He didn't bring life. And if that's the case, that means that we are doomed to death and darkness. But there's chapter 20 in the book of John as well. And what we read about there is the most wonderful of events ever to take place on this earth. Something far more marvelous even than God himself clothing himself in flesh. We read in John chapter 20 of resurrection. See, after his death on the cross, Jesus didn't stay buried because he is life and that life couldn't remain dead. He arose, he conquered forever that sting of death and hell. John describes this wonderful scene and he, as he's a, a displaying this amazing resurrection with this simple phrase in today's passage. Look at it again with me in verse 5. The light shines in darkness. Now here's where we need to understand the language rightly. Even as we want to understand the word was, we want to understand that shines doesn't mean in the past. John doesn't say the light shined it in back then. He says it shines now. The light shines in darkness. For you and for me today, the light shines in darkness. Shines is in the present tense. He's saying that the light is still shining in the darkness. And look at the next phrase. The darkness has not overcome it. Dark got as dark as it could become and it was not enough. It was not enough because light overcame it. It's an awesome truth. Jesus Christ is still shining in this dark world. No matter how dark the headlines become, no matter how dim your circumstances may make this life, light can still be seen through you today. Hark the herald angels sing, captures it in this way. Hail, the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail, the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glories by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to 
chapter 20, verse 31, he sings it this way. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This morning as we prepare our hearts for communion, as you remain in your seat and our choir leads us through a song of reflection and preparing our hearts, may I just give some simple instruction for that. This morning, if you have yet to receive this light, what's the first place to start? Well, it's to acknowledge your need of a Savior. It's to acknowledge that your own sin separates you from God. It's to acknowledge that your own effort will never be enough to overcome that separation. It's to believe in Jesus Christ. As John even instructs us here in chapter 20, verse 31, believe in him that by believing you may have life in his name. It's to confess not only your need, not only your sins, but to confess this most important truth, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it is to receive this greatest gift of Christmas. It's available to you and to me today. And even as we will celebrate with a few here in just a moment, it's to declare Thank you. 